0: Democracy has been broke for 400 plus years, starting with the encroachment on our black communities by the people who have terrorized us all in horrific ways for centuries. Advocate for retrograde workers' compensation for the centuries of oppression and exploitation of our people. Not doing so will result in a great loss of life that could have been prevented. Where is this country's humanity? More importantly, where is the humility touted by your religious leaders? Ah, but maybe it was never there to begin with because over 30 to 40 million souls were slaughtered by this country and now it's recycling the same old story in the Americas, Palestine, Somalia, the Congo, Haiti, and the Ukraine. Do we never learn? It is the same machine with different designs and technologies. Unfortunately for those with little access to these destructive forces running the new improved machine. We are in for one hell of a ride. A terrible day is coming soon because certain men have deluded themselves into thinking that their own way of life is the best way for everyone to live in the world. I am grateful to say that it is not the case for us all to be under their rule. I am very thankful for my particular mindset. While I may not have riches in this realm, I am beyond wealthy in spirit, soul, and mind. I am indestructible in my beliefs and cannot be indoctrinated by others who have not yet come to realize that the forces that are in control will not always be in control. One reason for this is that they have thrown their moral compasses out the window and have allowed themselves to be manipulated by others to make themselves more powerful and comfortable in this world. They have forsaken themselves from dwelling in a world of truth and harmony. I say harmony because to ask for peace is to invoke war. War will always be preceded by peace and vice versa. What we have in America is a bureaucratic system that has no way of sustaining itself for any length of time. The people who come to America from Europe are like the child who has been raised by negligent, abusive people who were never able to gain control of their abusive cycles. They want so much to be free of this cycle that is ruling their mindsets and thereby influencing the world, but not realizing that running to another continent was not nor ever will it be the answer to true freedom from these irrational fears and demands inherited from their own people. To break the cycle of abuse, you must first be willing to deconstruct the source of abusive power wielded against your lives and inner sanctums. Then deconstruct your own identity, especially your psyche. That is the only way to overcome the cycle of oppression and abuse. America is about to go through this deconstruction, whether it's ready or not, because they have abused their power globally. And it's time for the reckoning of said abusive behavior. I do not believe in revenge or being vindictive. These choices only compound problems. However, I do believe in self-defense and America has infringed on so many rights of the entire world by enforcing their abusive practices on others wherever they choose and it is time to halt and make better decisions based on rational principles that are not causing any destruction of human rights. The symptoms of this defunct system is that many countries have tried to retaliate against America's country in poorly plotted schemes of violence against it and has not been successful, but has gotten their message across despite the lack of any success. Going back as far as 1920, we see a succession of successful and unsuccessful attempts to cause harm to American citizens because of this country's complicity in crimes against humanity around the world starting in 1920. On September 16th in New New York City, a TNT bomb planted in unattended horse-drawn wagon exploded on Wall Street opposite the house of... Morgan, killing thirty-five people and excuse me, injuring hundreds more, Bolshevist or anarchist terrorists believed responsible, but crime never solved. In nineteen seventy-five, on January twenty-fourth, New York City, a bomb set off in historic Francis Tavern killed four and injured more than 50 people. Puerto Rican nationalist group, FALN, claimed responsibility and police tied 13 other bombings to their group. In 1993, on February 26, New York City bomb exploded in the basement group in the basement garage, excuse me, of World Trade Center, killing six and injuring at least 1,040 others. In 1995, a militant Islamist, Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman and nine others were convicted of conspiracy charges. And in 1998, Ramzi Youssef, believed to have been the mastermind, was convicted of the bombing. Al-Qaeda involvement is suspected. In 1995... On April 19th, Oklahoma City car bomb exploded outside the federal building, collapsing both wall and floors. 168 people were killed, including 19 children and one person who died in rescue effort. Over 220 buildings, buildings sustained damage. Timothy McVeigh and Terry McNic- and Terry Nichols later were convicted in the anti-government plot to avenge the Branch Davidian standoff in Waco, Texas. Exactly two years earlier. In 2001, September, on September 11th, New York City, Arlington, Virginia, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania, hijackers crashed two commercial jets into Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. Two more hijacked jets were crashed into the Pentagon and a field in rural Pennsylvania, total dead and missing number 299. no, that can't be right, excuse me, I don't know why I'm having an issue seeing these numbers. The total dead and missing number 29,000, 2,992, excuse me. There were 2,749 killed in New York City, 184 killed at the Pentagon, 40 killed in Pennsylvania, and 19 hijackers killed that were Islamic Al-Qaeda terrorist groups that were blamed. In 2010, May 1st, New York City, a car bomb is discovered in Times Square, New York City after smoke is seen coming from a vehicle. The bomb was ignited but failed to detonate and was disarmed before it could cause any harm. Times Square was evacuated as a safety precaution. Faisal Shahzad Pleads guilty to placing the bomb as well as 10 terrorism and weapons charges may 10th jacksonville florida a pipe bomb explodes while approximately 60 muslims are praying in the mosque the attack causes no injuries october 29th two packages are found on separate cargo planes Each package contains a bomb consisting of 300 to 400 grams, 11 to 14 ounces comparatively, of plastic explosives and a detonating mechanism. The bombs are discovered as a result of intelligence received from Saudi Arabia's security chief. The packages bound from Yemen to the United States are discovered at in route stopovers one in England and one in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. In 2011 January 17th Spokane Washington a pipe bomb is discovered along the route of the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial March. The bomb a viable device set up to spray marchers with shrapnel and to cause multiple casualties is diffused without any injuries. On April 15th, Boston, Massachusetts, multiple bombs explode near the finish line of the Boston Marathon. Two pom- two bombs excuse me, go off around 2 o'clock in the afternoon as runners finish the race. Three people are killed. One is an 8-year-old boy. More than 260 people are injured. Three days later, the FBI releases... Photos and video of two suspects in the hope that the public can help identify them. Just hours after the FBI releases the images, the two suspects rob a gas station in Central Square, then shoot and kill a MIT police officer in his car. Afterwards, the two men carjack a SUV and tell the driver that they had set off the explosions at the Marathon. Police pursue the vehicle into Watertown. During the shootout, an MBTA officer is shot and one of the suspects, identified as Tameran Tsarnaev, age 26, is killed. A suicide vest is found on his body. The other suspect, Zokar Tsarnaev, age 19, remains at large for several hours causing a massive manhunt and lockdown for all of Boston, Cambridge and many other surrounding communities. The manhunt ends when he is found alive, but seriously injured, hiding in a boat behind a house in Watertown. The two suspects are brothers and have been living together in Cambridge. They have lived in the U.S. for about a decade, but are from an area near Chechnya, a region in Russia. June 1st Little Rock, Arkansas, Abdul Hakim Muhammad, a Muslim convert from Memphis, Tennessee, is charged with shooting two soldiers outside a military recruiting center. One is killed and the other is wounded. In a January 2010 letter to the judge hearing this case, Muhammad asked to change his plea from not guilty to guilty, claimed ties to al-Qaeda, and called the shooting a jihadi attack to fight those who wage war on Islam and Muslims. On December 25th, a Nigerian man on a flight from Amsterdam to Detroit attempted to ignite an explosive device hidden in his underwear. The explosive device that failed to detonate was a mixture of powder and liquid that did not alert security personnel in the airport. The alleged bomber, Umar Farouk Abdum Mutalab told officials later that he was directed by the terrorist group Al Qaeda. The suspect was already on the government's watch list when he attempted the bombing. His father, a respected Nigerian banker, had told the U.S. government that he was worried about his son's ex- increased extremism. In two thousand and fifteen, December second, San Bernardino, California, fourteen people are killed and more than twenty wounded when two people open fire at a holiday party at the Inland Regional Center, a service facility for people with disabilities and special needs in San Bernardino, California. The suspect's husband and wife, Sayed Rizwan Farooq and Tashfeen Malik are killed in a shoot- shootout with police after the rampage. Officials say they believe the attack is terrorism related. It is the worst mass shooting in the United States since 26 people were killed in December 2012 at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Connecticut, December 8th. The FBI announces that Farouk and Malik had been radicalized. The FBI also concludes that while the couple was not working with ISIS directly, their actions were inspired by the Islamic State. In 2016, June 12th, a mass shooting At an Orlando nightclub in the early hours of Sunday, June 12, 2016, leaves 50 people dead, including the gunman and more than 50 injured. The shooter is identified as Omar Mateen, 29, who entered the nightclub armed with an assault rifle and a pistol. According to authorities, Mr. Mateen pledged his allegiance to ISIS via a 911 call from inside the nightclub. This massacre is the deadliest mass shootings on US soil. In 2017, on October thirty first, a Tuesday, a man drove his rented home depot truck near the World Trade Center in New York. The driver, Saifula, excuse me, Habib Bulivek Saipov plowed his vehicle into pedestrians along the West Side Highway bike path, killing eight and wounding another 11. Sources say a note in the truck claimed this attack was for ISIS. In 2019, August 3, a far-right ideologist and shooter entered a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, on Friday, August 3, 2019, opening fire and injuring 23 individuals. Another 23 people were killed in this attack, as the deadliest attack on Latino persons in recent American history. December 6th, at the Naval Air Station Pensacola in Florida, an armed assailant killed three people and injured eight more on Friday, December 6, 2019. The man was identified after being shot to death by sheriff's deputies as Mohammed Saeed Al Shamrani. And the Department of Justice later dis- classified the incident as a terrorist act based on jihadist motivations. In 2021, January 6, the U.S. Capitol building was stormed by armed rioters on Wednesday, January 6, 2020, in the aftermath of former President Donald Trump's electoral defeat. In total, five people lost their lives and over 130 were wounded primarily police officers this shocking act of domestic terrorism is one of the worst in modern American history according to the government I think uh, the worst domestic terrorism was carried out in modern uh, history was at in 1921, for the Black Wall Street incident, where an entire town was decimated and never rebuilt, I think they're working on it now, but it took, what, over nearly a 100 years for that to happen, and the people were never compensated, there was never given any restitution, reparations, recovery fund for a domestic terrorist attempt that succeeded in destroying an entire population in the Black community. Black Wall Street still deserves its recognition and compensation for that disaster. January 16th, on Saturday, January 15th, 2022, An armed shooter entered the congregation Beth Israel Synagogue in Colleyville, Texas, as the congregation celebrated a Sabbath service. Identified as Malik Akram, the British Pakistani assailant took four hostages, but after an 11-hour standoff with the FBI, they were released and Akram was shot to death. Which, did that need to happen? Maybe because he was holding a gun. I don't know. I will have to do more research on that. But it seems like people of color, if they're holding a gun or a weapon or hostages, even after they release the hostages, they're murdered by authorities. Whereas Timothy McVeigh and his cohort were both taken in custody No harm done to them, either of them. On October 29, 2003, New York officials reduced the number of people killed at the World Trade Center in the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks on the United States by 40 names. The list of casualties dropped from 2,752 to 2,792, For a variety of reasons. Some people initially reported missing have been found. There were duplicate names, there was no proof that a person was at the World Trade Center that day, and because of fraud, on January 2004 the number was reduced by three more to 2,749. Twenty cases that were documented by the U.S. as problematic only because they were all predominantly from European Caucasian descent who were murdered by so-called terrorists. However, the numbers are not quite accurate in terms of who is considered in this account of victims that have perished by terrorists on USA soil. Now, if you take into account the tribes of America who have been killed and add the numbers, the numbers are then much higher than the numbers of those who are listed by this report. Then add the numbers of Africans or, Afri- or tribes from Africa who have been slaughtered, it goes up by much more than we can imagine. I shall read you the list from the genocide report from the group associated with Malcolm X and others within their respective historical narratives, because representation matters. I feel it's necessary to include these slain black citizens of America. Malcolm X died while never accomplishing his mission. To bear witness to the atrocities committed by the United States government in this war against the humanity of said people in this country, and the world at large, which is still taking place today. As we look around the world, we can see places like the Congo, Somalia, Libya, Haiti, and many more. The time to have that change is now, otherwise it will not be conducive for conversation to ever begin. The words will fall on deaf ears, and all will be lost. I'd like to start with the list of the petitioners to commemorate what they tried to do, even though at that point in time, Malcolm X did lose his life for even having the audacity to think that this government was capable of humanity and rectifying its wrongdoing. And I'd like to say that this... Petition was to be handed over originally in 1951 by W.E.B. Du Bois at the United Nations Council, or Paul Robeson. Excuse me. There's two different recollections of the events that are documented online, and I always I read that W. Mr. Dubois was the first one and that I read about. And so I always associate his name with being the one to deliver the petition. However, it was Mr. Robeson, Paul Robeson, that delivered the United Nations genocide of petition petition, excuse me. And I'd like to say that was nineteen fifty one, the earliest in this report that I read from on a website called InfoPlease, started in 1920. So I find it curious that no one thought to add African American lives to this list of domestic terrorism. We always seem to leave out black life. And discount it as part of an American tragedy because I still feel that America somehow would like to believe that we actually don't matter when, in fact, we do. Our life, our lives are valuable and just as precious as every other name that I read off, every other incident, every occasion of life being taken that I read off from 1920 to 2022, whether they be black, white, or brown, they are all relevant and should not be forgotten, which is why I decided to name the ones that happened on American soil, because I am of the firm belief that we actually are invading foreign territory and we need to cease and desist. We need to stop interfering in in um, conflict that really does not involve us. It's between two groups of people and they should be settled between the two groups. We should not be interfering in helping one to annihilate the other by distributing mass weapons of mass destruction in order to help them obliterate the people that they're having a problem with who happen to be their relatives or distant relatives, whatever you want to call it. We're all related at some point in time, whether they're white or not. Our DNA is connected at some point in time. So regardless of how you want to see it, once or twice or a thousand times removed, you're still related. There is no races. There is only one race. And it would be nice to wake up to that realization someday where we don't have to quibble over who's the most superior race. I really think it boils down to anyway who's the most superior person, not necessarily based on your race, but your qualifications and your skill set. There's always going to be someone better than you at something, no matter who you are. You could be the greatest, but someone is going to come along at some point and beat your record, regardless of of your, your status, your color, your religion. It has nothing to do with it. It's all about skill. It's about timing. That's what it's about. That's where superiority comes in. And if you put the work in, most people can accomplish something. And that's not to say that everyone can, because that's not always true. But what matters is, is the desire to accomplish something and really to focus on on your best. You may not beat the Olympic world record, However, you may beat your own record. And that's what we need to really focus on. What record did you place yesterday that you would like to overcome or outdo? I, for one, know, there's no way that I would beat Michael Jordan on on the basketball court, but I'm sure a game to try. And I am an excellent first guard. So yeah. I may be able to block his his shots. I don't know. <laughs> that would be funny. I really that would be really really funny. Being that he's like six seven, six eight taller. I'm five one. <laughs> and th- that my point though is, when I played basketball in my younger days, I didn't care what the points were for the other team. What I cared about was how many points I blocked and how many I made myself. Did I beat my last record? Can I improve our team's record? Can we get a better score than we got before, whether we win or lose? Our goal is to win, but we won the second we, d- we decided to step on the court. And that's the way the mentality of people needs to change. You need to remember that it doesn't matter what someone else can do that's better than you, you need to focus on what you can do that's better than you. When you look in the mirror, are you doing better than you were before? Is your score better than it was the day before? Improve it so that it is, so that you can be a better person and be superior within yourself. And stop comparing our worth to other people. By what they can or cannot do. That being said, I'm going to read off the renowned, historical, wonderful people that assisted our dear brother Malcolm X, W. E. B. Du Bois. Mr. Paul Robertson, the other petitioners that helped pin this extremely prolific, fascinating report, and they called it, We Charge Genocide, in regards to America and its history of abuse against black people which i would like to point out at the same time this report was being documented the cases of numerous atrocities carried out against african american people that were so called free men coincided at the same time that palestine started being afflicted with terror from Israel with the Nakba incident in 1947. These accounts that I'm going to read to you happened at that same time period, 1947 through 1951. The petitioners, I'm going to read them first. Alzira Alba, New Mexico. Mike Babinchok, Ohio. Charlotta A. Bass, California. Isidore Begoon, New York. Richard O'Boyer, New York. Maurice Braverman, Maryland. Louise E. Burnham, New York. Harold Christoffel, Wisconsin. Charles Collins, New York. Ralph Cooper, New Jersey. Dr. Matthew Crawford, California. George Crockett, Jr., Michigan. Wendell Phillips Dabney, Ohio, John Dashbach, Washington, Benjamin J. Davis Jr., New York, Carmen Davis, Tennessee, Lester Davis, Illinois, Angie Dickerson, South Carolina, Dr. W.E.B. Dubois, New York, Roscoe Dungy, Oklahoma, Jack Durr, Oregon, Collis, English, New Jersey, Howard Fast, New York, Winifred Feist, Louisiana, James Ford, New York, Josephine Grayson, Virginia, Abner Green, New York, Yvonne Gregory, New York, Aubrey Grossman, New York, William Harrison, Massachusetts, Harry Haywood, New York, James R. Herman, Louisiana, Reverend Charles A. Hill, Michigan, William Hood, Michigan, W. Alpheus Hunton, New York. Dorothy Hunton, New York, Arnold Johnson, Pennsylvania, Dr. Oakley C. Johnson, Louisiana, Claudia Jones, New York, John Hudson Jones, New York, Reverend Ob- Obadiah Jones, Missouri, Leon jo- 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 Josephson, New York, Albert Kahn, New York, Mary Cobb, Virginia, Maud white New York, Stetson Kennedy, Florida. Kay Kirby, Florida. Elizabeth Kaiser, California. Yetta Land, Arizona. Elizabeth Lawson, New York. Amy Mallard, Georgia. Doris Mallard, Georgia. James Mal- Malloy, New York. Larkin Marshall, Georgia. Rosalie McGee, Mississippi. Arthur McFall, Michigan, Bessie Mitchell, New York, Russell Meek, New York, Thelma My Tez, Connecticut, Anna H. Morgan, Ohio, Louis Moreauz, New Jersey, George Murphy Junior, New York, Andrew Nelson, Louisiana, George Newson, California, Josephine Nordstrand, Wisconsin, Louise Thompson, Patterson, New York, William L. Patterson, New York. Sally Peak, District of Columbia, Patrice Perry, New York, John Pittman, New York, Islanda Good Robeson, Connecticut, Paul Robeson, Connecticut, Paul Robeson, Jr., New York. Marguerite Robinson, California. Elaine Ross, New York. Nat Ross, New York. Ida Rothstein, California, Geneva, Russian, Georgia. Millie Salwin, New Jersey. Anne Shore, Michigan. Ferdinand Smith, New York. Leon Strauss, New York. Lumiere J. Subert, Wisconsin. Mary Church Terrell, District of Columbia. James Thorpe, New Jersey. Decca Truhoft, California. Robert Truhoft. California, Paul Washington, Louisiana, Abe Weisberg, New York, Wesley Robert Wells, California, Claude White, Hawaii, Reverend Elliot White, New York, Horace Wilson, New Jersey, Elsie Zazrivi, Ohio, I don't know if all of these people are alive. Some of I know that some of them aren't, of course. W. E. B. Du Bois, Du Bois. Uh, I'm not sure about some of the others. If they are alive, they're getting up there. But I will continue on with my accounting of what took place. And because I, I believe that what Malcolm X, W.E.B. Dubois, du Paul Robertson were trying to do was to put a name to the faces, many faces of the tragedy of a black person's. History in America, and these accountings need to be heard and accounted for. And the people that were complicit in them, which is the government, which has not stopped being complicit in the murdering and targeting black Americans. African-Americans from this country. They are still carrying on these atrocious war crimes as far as I'm concerned because we didn't come to you and try to afflict you with violence. You came to our homes, to our places of dwelling, to our sanctums, our, our, our sacred places, and decimated them. So that, by every definition, is a war crime. Every war crime throughout history has been rectified. And the majority of them have, in some way, in some form, at least been publicly acknowledged. The tribes of America, the various tribes that have received compensation, they are now... Been given free medical, free education, land if you call it that on reservations where they're designated homes, which is honestly a slap in the face to where they used to live and how they used to live, and through I guess you you want to call it a benefit with the casinos, even though the cas- the casinos cause more of a harm than they do actual good. It causes a lot of um, alcoholism, um, child abuse. there's prostitution, drug abuse, drug manufacturing, trafficking, human trafficking. So is what they handed the tribes of America actually beneficial? I don't really think America has fully rectified that situation with the tribal people of this continent, the many tribes from the ones that we are very familiar with, the five civilized tribes, as they were called by America, because they assimilated within their religious constructs, even though I personally believe the Christianity that was pushed on the American uh, tribes is the most uncivilized construct ever introduced to man. Is it the worst that we've seen? Of course not. Of course it isn't the worst, but it attributed to the worst things happening. And I believe they still haven't answered for that. They won't have answered to it until every tribe in America is fully compensated without ever having to even pull out a passport, social security card, automatic sovereignty. The same thing with the black people of America. We should also have automatic sovereignty. We should never ever have to pull out a passport anywhere on the planet. There should be a passport of universal free travel wherever we feel like going. As long as we are not causing harm to any other beings. And by harm, I mean not just your your convoluted ideas of harm. Not crying foul every time a black man looks at a white woman. That's not harm. If he looks at a white woman, he's being a man. I know white men that look at black women. That doesn't mean that you're going to throw him in jail and arrest him for assaulting a black woman with his eyes, even though sometimes you should, because it's disrespectful. However, not every look... Is meant to be in that perverted manner. So, not every look is jail worthy. That being said, until America rectifies the harm it's done and committed against Black Americans, I do not believe this country will fully thrive in the way that it could. Because you cannot build a foundation riddled with termites and expect for it to last. And this country was built from the ground up, riddled with termites from the point of inception because it denigrated the people that it now has the audacity to call its citizens. But by first decimating millions of them, 10 million, over 10 million of the first nation tribe i would safely bet to say that it's over 40 50 million easily in the black communities and and then you you garner in worldwide the number is astronomical and it's definitely a holocaust whether they coined that phrase specifically for the jewish the the african nation in its entirety, the black community, in its in- in- entirety, and I'm speaking globally, is a Holocaust situation. And it needs to be rectified, and it needs to be answered, and it needs to be dealt with in a humane fashion where we are compensated for loss of life, if nothing else, for the damages, for the Damage not just to our person, our livelihoods, but our reputation. You basically called us animals and you're still trying to spout that venom, which doesn't make a lick of sense. You have degrees. Where, where are you getting this, this um, eugenics bullcrap from? The Eugenics pseudoscience bullcrap is just mind-boggling. However, I digress. I want to focus on the genocide petition written by my eloquent brothers and sisters. They worked very, very hard on it. And it's very long. If you read the entirety of it, it's, it's a book. And it definitely deserves to be remembered and their names be spoke out loud. And illuminated, for lack of a better expression. So here we go. January 24th, New York City, a bomb set off in historic... Excuse me. Let me take a second. I am not... Reading from the right area, so I digress, bear with me for a second and let me get on track because we don't need to rehash the same information, do we? And we definitely are going to try to not have dead air. Please bear with me for a minute. Here we go. In 1946, in February, Frank Allen, a taxi driver, was killed by the police of Memphis, Tennessee. A field report of the American Council on Race Relations characterized the killing as suspicious. The two white officers said that Allen shot at them. However, Another version stated that Allen was unarmed, that the officers dragged Allen from his cab and shot him in a vacant lot. On February, James Mangum, 17 years old, was sentenced to death for alleged rape. He charged that his confession had been forced from him by brutality. Nevertheless, the U.S. Supreme Court twice denied his appeals, appeals and the State Parole Board refused to pardon him or commute his sentence. So he was executed. James Mangum, 17 years old, for alleged rape, which he didn't commit. February 5th, a policeman of Freeport, New York, shot and killed Private Charles Ferguson and his brother, Alfonso Ferguson, a third brother Seaman 3rd Class Joseph Ferguson was wounded in the shoulder and thrown into the brig, while a fourth brother, Richard Ferguson, was arrested and sentenced to 100 days in jail. The brothers had protested Jim Crow at a local cafe, where the proprietor had refused them service because they were Negroes. After the killings, Freeport police threw a cordon, around the bus terminal and stationed men with tommy guns and tear gas there, saying that they wanted to prevent a possible uprising of local Negroes. Investigation proved that none of the brothers were harmed and that they were peaceably on their way from the cafe to the bus station when they were attacked by the policemen. Witnesses, including two white women, made affidavits that the brothers were not disorderly. The killer policemen was exonerated by the chief of police and by the Nassau Grand Jury. An investigation ordered by Governor Dewey after five months of organized protest whitewashed the police, the Grand Jury, which refused to indict the policemen, and the district attorney of Nassau County. The investigation also denied the lawyer for the slain brothers' families the right to cross-examination and the right to put specific questions to witnesses. On February 9th, Private Nathaniel Jackson was shot to death by a guard with a Tommy gun at the U.S. disciplinary barracks at Granville, Wisconsin. After a group of prisoners complained that meat had been omitted from their lunch, two other Negroes not named in newspaper accounts were injured in the ensuing attack by guards. February 11th, accused of a robbery and murder that had occurred on February at the scene of the crime. The U.S. Supreme Court set aside the decision, but Edward Patton was sentenced to die by the criminal court at Lauderdale County, Mississippi. Attorneys for Patton showed that his confession had been forced from him. He had been grilled for three consecutive days and had been twice taken to the woods to be shown a noose and Patton was convicted in Mer- Meridian, Meridian, excuse me, Meridian, Mississippi, in September nineteen forty-eight. February seventeenth, Timothy Hood, veteran, was shot to death in Bessemer, Alabama, by a police chief. Previously, a streetcar conductor had fired five shots into Hood's body because Hood had attempted to pull down a Jim Crow sign. Hearing that Hood was in a nearby house, wounded, the police chief entered the house and fired into Hood's brain. The Bessemer coroner called the acts justifiable homicide. February 25th, 500 National Guardsmen swarmed into the Negro section of Columbia, Tennessee, firing riot guns and other firearms. Police opened up with machine guns on the Negroes Barricaded in their homes, every Negro—excuse me—every Negro business establishment in the two black business areas was completely wrecked. The terror against the Negro community mink slide began officially the day before when Mass Gladys Stephenson and her son James, a veteran, had an argument with a radio repairman. The repairman kicked and slapped Mrs. Stephenson and tore the sleeves out of her coat. Her son, James Stephenson, came to her defense and was arrested immediately and beaten by the police. As a lynch mob formed on Court Square, friends spirited James Stephenson and his mother out of the state and the Negro community community prepared to defend itself from attack and prevent any lynchings, lynchings from occurring. A large number of Negroes were arrested and jailed. William Gordon and James Johnson were shot and killed on February 28th by police while they were being held in jail. Napoleon Stewart was also shot and wounded while in jail. The three were shot by five policemen at three-yard range. Gordon and Johnson might have been saved after the shooting had they been taken at once to the city hospital. But this hospital was for whites only— and they were driven over rough roads 43 miles to Nashville instead. John Blackville was nearly killed by police beatings, and all-white Maury County grand jury began to hand down indictments against members of the Negro community on March 23rd. Subsequent legal events took place over a period of many months. The trial itself was characterized by Vincent Sheehan, special writer for the New York Herald Tribune, as a travesty of justice. It was proved by the defense that the Negroes in the area had good reason to fear a lynching since the area had a record of many. It was further proved by the defense that James Stevenson had been removed from the jail and sent out of the state only a short time before a lynch mob collected at the jail demanding his life. That the mob gathered at court square, spoke openly of lynch plans. The defense also presented more than 200 witnesses, Negro and white, to prove that Negroes are systematically excluded from the grand and petite juries of that county. The trial judge refused to eliminate prospective jurors who admitted past or present membership of the Klan, those who said they approved of the Klan's activities, or those who said they would give less credence to a Negro than to a white witness. February 25th, Kenny Long, veteran, was shot to death by a highway patrolman in El Campo, Texas, together with his brother, Maron Long, also a veteran, and a cousin, Cosby Clay. Kenny Long was at a filling station drinking soda pop. A white lounger began to order Clay about, then called a police car. car. A deputy sheriff in the car stated, Don't you know I hate a goddamn... The three white officers began slapping and punching the three Negroes, and one of them shot Kenny Long dead. Moron Long and Cosby Clay were handcuffed Beaten and arrested on March twelfth, James Lewis, fourteen, and Charles Trud- Treadwell, or Trudell, excuse me, fifteen, condemned to death at Meadville, Mississippi. They were charged with a pistol slaying and indicted, tried, and convicted all in one day. The case was appealed to the Mississippi Supreme Court, which overruled a suggestion of error in the trial. They were refused a pardon by Governor Fielding Wright and were executed. A Veterans Justice Committee met April 9, 1946, to press an investigation into the killing of two members of the 130th Engineer Regiment on May 22, 1945, in Camp Lucky Strike, St. Valéry, France. The two were Private Allen Leftridge and Frank Glenn. They were shot dead while unarmed by two white guards posted at a Red Cross tent with orders to keep Negroes from talking to French girls employed there. Court-martial proceedings had absolved the killers. At a subsequent hearing before the Veterans Administration, Alfred A. Duckett, formerly of the 130th Cavalry, testified that there had been prejudice against Negro soldiers at the camp. He also stated that a French civilian employee on the post had told him that the guards had orders to prevent Negro GIs from talking with French women. On April 1st, George Collins, a Negro Shore patrolman was killed early in April 1946 at the Navy Marine Base at McAllister, Oklahoma by a local police officer. Collins had been stationed at the Naval Ammunition Depot. Negroes in the community stated that Collins' death was the third such incident since the establishment of the Navy Marine Base a few years previously. They declared that the city police carried on a veritable reign of terror against the Negro shore patrolmen that on numerous occasions they swooped down on the Negro section making searches and seizures without warrants. May 1st at a secret meeting of the Ku Klux Klan's Clavalier Club Whipping Squad held at the Clavern No. 1 198 and a half Whitehall Street Atlanta, Georgia Chief Cliff Vert Vitter warned the Clavaliers to be more careful, criticizing them for using the cab of a Negro cab driver they had killed a short time before, and for not wiping their fingerprints from the steering wheel. Had he not called a Brother Klansman on the police force to wipe the wheel, the Clavaliers involved would be in hot water, Vitter said, Atlanta newspapers that day following the lynching reported merely that the body of a Negro man had been found on Pryor Road, apparently the victim of an auto accident. Incident reports on this Claverlier meeting were turned over to the Georgia Department of Law and the Federal Bureau of Investigation by Stetson Kennedy of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, but no prosecution was forthcoming. On May 18th, William Arthur was killed in Baltimore, Maryland, while allegedly resisting arrest by police officers. The following day, May 19th, Wilbur Bendley was killed by an officer. Nine witnesses stated that he was shot in the back while running. A few days later, Isaac Jackson was shot and killed by a policeman a number of organizations began a protest against consistent police brutality in Baltimore. In June, Elliot Brooks of Gretna, Louisiana, was killed by the Gretna chief of police because he knew too much concerning the disappearance of another Negro who was a prisoner, according to affidavits filed with the Gretna branch of the NAACP. July, Sutter Matthews was killed in Moultrie, Georgia, sometime in July 1946, according to a county coroner's report made on July 31, 1946. The killers had laid the corpse across the tracks of the Georgia Northern Railroad, but Matthews was already dead, killed with a blunt instrument, and they tried to cover it up by laying him on the tracks." July 17th, Private Samuel Hicks was discovered dying of a fractured skull on a road near Geiger Army Field near Spokane, Washington. A white soldier stated that he had seen Hicks slugged by two whites and left on the road. There had been feeling against Negro soldiers at the field for some time. When Hicks' death was discovered on July 17th, 1946, Negroes started a search for the killers. Then a force of white MPs, armed with guns, clubs, and tear gas, invaded the area. One MP carefully aimed and fired at a fleeing Negro soldier. Two tear gas bombs were tossed into the Negro soldiers' quarters. On July 20th, one of the comparatively few Negroes who voted in the 1946 Georgia elections was a veteran Macro Sniper. Snipes, excuse me, Macro Snipes. Snipes voted in Rupert's district of Taylor County. On July 20th, 1946, he was dragged from his home and killed by four white men. He died of pistol wounds. The killers were freed. The killing of Snipes was one of the first fruits of the election campaign waged by Eugene Talmadge. Talmadge had warned Negroes to keep away from the polls. One of the methods One of the methods used to intimidate the negro community was the posting of signs on negro churches which read the first negro to vote will never vote again. On July 24th, the body of Leon McTate was found in a sunflower county bayou near Lexington, Mississippi. The condition of the body showed that McTatey had been lynched. Six white men were charged with whipping him to death for stealing a saddle. They were acquitted by a jury after 10 minutes' deliberation. July 25th, Mr. and Mrs. Roger Malcolm and Mr. and Mrs. George Dorsey were lynched near Monroe, Georgia. Dorsey was a World War II veteran. A group of 20 to 30 white men beat the two women, then lined the four against trees and shot them dead with a 60-shot broadside from rifles, pistols, and shotguns. Roger Malcolm, a sharecropper, had quarreled with his landlord about the disposition of the crop. Malcolm had also objected to advances made to his wife by a member of the landlord's family. After the quarrel, a lynch mob gathered on July 14th. It dispersed, but gathered again on July 25th. Eugene Talmadge, white supremacy candidate for governor of Georgia, made an official visit to the landlord's family. The federal government investigated, but took no action against anyone. Walter White, secretary of the NAACP, revealed on August 6, 1946, that Attorney General Tom Clark had the names of six men charged with the lynchings in his possession. On October 28, 1946, Clark told the Herald-Tribune forum in regard to the Monroe lynchings that the jurisdiction of the federal government depends upon a thin thread of the law. The federal statutes give me the power to prosecute only when a person has been deprived of a federally secured right, the right of life, liberty, and property the Supreme Court has repeatedly held is not a federally secured right the federal jury reported in December that it was unable to find anyone guilty of violating the civil rights statute. May Mr. and Mrs. Roger Malcolm, Mr. and Mrs. George Dorsey, rest in peace for not receiving due justice at the time of your death. I bear witness in your name and... Myself and others and many like Malcolm X and the brilliant people who wrote this petition. I am only a mere small messenger of the atrocities that occurred to all of you. And I would love to wake up to a world where none of these atrocities ever happen. We can walk down the street with out ever being accosted or violently tormented by any group whatsoever, where we can dwell in harmony and have compassion for one another, and to remember to not ask for peace, thereby invoking war, but to ask for harmony. So that there is no discord in the universe. That's what I wish. A place and a dwelling of harmony for all humanity. His body was perforated with six revolver bullets. And he was beaten with a gun butt. The slain took place on the highway and the killer was given his freedom at once by the sheriff. In August, James Walker was shot dead by a hail of bullets as he sat on his father's porch at Elko, South Carolina. The shots were fired by a white filling station owner and his brother who had quarreled with Walker. On August 3rd, John J. Gilbert, Chalk Mill Worker was found shot to death by the roadside near his home at Gordon, Georgia. Investigation showed that he had been active in the work of union organization and was killed on his way to work by whites who hated unions. On the same day, Buddy Wolf was murdered by a deputy sheriff in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Also on uh, this same day, While his mother stood 100 yards away, J.C. Farmer, a veteran, was shot dead near Bailey, North Carolina by a posse of 20 to 25 men who swooped down on him in eight cars. Farmer had been waiting for a bus when he was attacked by a policeman, and a scuffle started. Farmer was lynched one hour later. On August 8th, John C. Jones, a veteran, was lynched on August 8th, 1946 near Minden, Louisiana, shortly after his release from jail when a charge against him collapsed. On August 15th, his lash-welted body was found in a lake two miles from Minden, indicating that floggers had operated on Jones before he was dumped in the lake. The deputy coroner reported multiple bruises and contusions apparently made by a wide leather belt or a thick strap. At the same time, in the same place, Albert Harris, Jr., 17 years old, was shot at by the lynchers. He feigned death until they had quit the scene, and then he fled the state. Young Harris' father, Albert Harris, Sr., was beaten by Menden mobsters in an attempt to force him to tell his son's whereabouts. Investigation showed that when Jones returned from the army, he began suit to recover the rights to oil-producing land owned by his grandfather and leased to an oil syndicate. The land was producing thousands of barrels of oil per month for which Jones' family received less than $1 monthly. In February 1947, six white men, including the Menden chief of police, were identified as Jones lynchers by Albert Harris Jr. Two of the six deputy sheriffs went on trial in Shreveport before a federal jury, Young Harris told the jury how he saw the lynchers beat and burn jones with a blowtorch he saw jones' wrist chopped off with a cleaver he saw jones' eyes pop out off his head off of his head from the white hot flame of the torch young harris also told how he and jones had been released from the minden jail into the arms of a waiting mob both Harris Jr. and Harris Sr. had to be closely guarded by a number of U.S. Marshals during the trip to Shreveport and during the trial because of KKK violence let loose in the area. All of the accused lynchers were freed. On September 27th, Walter Lee Johnson, a veteran On August 3rd, or August 8th, excuse me, John C. Jones, a veteran, was lynched on or near Minden, Louisiana, shortly after his release from jail when a charge against him collapsed. On August 15th, his lash-welted body was found in a lake two miles from Minden, indicating that floggers had operated on Jones before he was dumped in the lake. The deputy coroner reported multiple bruises and contusions apparently made by a wide leather strap. I may have read this already. Excuse me. On September 27th, Walter Lee Johnson, a veteran, was fatally wounded in Atlanta, Georgia, by a streetcar motorman. Johnson was standing on an Atlanta street when the streetcar drew to a stop. Johnson recognized one of the passengers inside and called out to him jokingly. The motorman thought the joke was meant for him. He left the car, stepped to the sidewalk, and shot Johnson dead. The motorman was freed. In October, Barry Branch, elderly Negro citizen of Houston, Texas, was killed by a bus driver. I am going to stop here and I will continue with... with this account because I believe it is important and wait for the next episode. I hope you, um, stay with me because these are perilous times that we are living under and there needs to be an accounting for all of the deaths, the ones here on our land and globally that America is complicit for.